Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. Episode 11 of the Sausage Factory. Wait, what? 11? Last time I checked, it should be 231. And you're right, it is. It should be. But we've had a couple of issues with guests and stuff, and. No, no fault of their own, of course, I have to hasten to add. But uh, so rather than give you no show at all, which would be a bit sad, I thought I'd delve into the archives, see what we got back deep, deep in the mist of time that is the Sausage Factory. It's been running since 2013. That's, that's six years. So I thought, February, February 2014 is when I met uh, Jennifer Schneiderat of Miam Miam Games. Um, in this show, episode 11, she speaks about a game called Dengami. Now, why am I bringing this one up? Well, I'll be speaking to Jennifer again. Yes, five years later, speak to her again. And this time, uh, it will be in episode 231. And it'll be about a game called Astrologaster, which a lot of people are talking about because it's an awesome game. And uh, I've been in contact with Jennifer for you know all these years, and she released this. I saw this game a couple of years ago, Astrologaster, and uh, I invited her on, and she did the show, and she said, "I'd love to," again after five years. So here we are, listen to her again. Um, but before we do that, I can reprise what she said about Tengami, uh, which is an excellent game as well we should check that out but before we delve into the past let's have a look into the future with Kane and Rids next Monday kicks off with another episode of course about a certain game and this game is Ape Escape on the PlayStation 1 which I streamed a few weeks back then we have Sound of Play it's episode 201 if you saw listen to episode 200 you hear my voice yes uh, rating a particular tune that I uh, sort of praised and venerated uh, I won't say which tune it is but um, it's one of, one of my favourites and all, a lot of Kahneman's hosts got together to celebrate episode 200 of Sound of Play, quite excellent then we have Playwright, two people called Ryan, chatting about a game that doesn't exist made up based on the ideas that are sent to them by their listeners and of course on Friday we have The Sausage Factory which you're listening to Right, now if you want to know more about what Cane and Rinse does, uh, also read blogs, reviews, previews, other features, then pop along to caneandrinse.com where not only you find all those things, but also a link to a forum, a lively forum in 2019. I know, shock, horror, but it doesn't exist. Also, we have links to other things like our Twitch stream. Every Thursday, we set sail on CFTs looking for content. Mainly we don't find any, but we do find lots of chests and skeletons and things blowing up. And drowning. Lots of drowning. 
but it doesn't matter. There's also a parrot called Alan, but we don't talk about him. And then, of course, if you want to chuck us a few shekels, you're welcome to do so. You can subscribe via Patreon, and if you do, just for one dollar a month, just one dollar a month, one US dollar, I hasten to add, you get access to other content as well, even more content. I know, insane. You get Kane and Rinse one week early. You also get extended editions of Kane and Rinse. You get an exclusive monthly podcast that uh, exists for Patreon uh, subscribers only. And finally, you get the platform specials. That's right. Uh, at the moment, we have uh, Game Boy Advance. Or no, no, not Game Boy Advance. Game Boy. And then we have a PlayStation podcast. And we have the uh, Mega Drive. Now, um, also Xbox. There's an Xbox um, uh, special as well. Is there a PlayStation 1? Am I going insane? I think I am. I know we've got the original Xbox uh, episode, which has not been released out for the public yet. It won't be for a couple of months yet. But if you want to listen to it, you have to uh, check us some, some monies. But anyway, enough about me. Let's listen to myself from five years ago. Take it away. Very, very long ago, me. Jennifer. Hello. Who are you? Please introduce yourself. Yeah, my name is Jennifer. I'm uh, the co-founder of Nyam Nyam and one of the co-creators uh, of Tengami. And how did you get starting making video games or games generally? Um, I, I went... Uh, kind of like an, an education route, I guess. So after um, after school, I went to do a uh, computer science degree uh, as kind of like a preparation to be a, uh, a programmer in, uh, in the games industry. And uh, at the end of my degree, I was uh, very fortunate to get a job with a Japanese developer in Tokyo. Wow. And uh, they are called Acquire. And uh, some people fondly remember them because they did the Tenshu Stealth Assassins series. I love that game. Yeah, me too. And, I like uh, Tenshu 1 and 2. Kind of, yeah. yeah, that was really good. Those were amazing back they in the day. Amazing. Way ahead of their time. Dig them out, people, if you haven't played them already. I don't think they re-released them or anything. You'd have to find them on eBay or something. Amazing. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, then kind of like took it from there. So, what, do you speak Japanese then? Um, badly, yes. <laughs> right, but you. So, what? How? When you say programmer, I always dig into this because we had mm-hmm. one chap from um, Paradox who, who cut his um, cloth. Not actually formal education, but he actually uh, developed uh, the demos on the Amiga. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just that's how he. So, is it like um, C and that sort of stuff, or is it assembly, or all those, all the above? In how sort of. Loads yeah, I mean, like I, I, I learned, you know, you like learn several programming languages. Right. And, uh, when you've kind of like learned, learned, you know, if you've learned a couple of languages and also yeah. scripting languages, then it's right. pretty easy to pick up on other stuff because a lot of the concepts are kind of uh, very similar, and it's often just almost about learning kind of like the, the grammar or syntax of a language. Right. So it's. They all have we're executing the same thing. Ultimately, telling computer to change switches. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> ultimately, 
Yeah. Yeah. People tend to forget that. That do you know computers are just a bunch of switches, right? And like, really? Yes, it still are. Just a bunch of switches. Oh, come on, Chris. No, they really just are that. And that's what programming languages does. It just tells us to do on. Then when that's on, do off on that. Yeah. And that's really, really insulting. Uh, but that's ultimately what it boils down to. And I think people forget that and it all goes a bit pear-shaped. Um, so did you start before school? I mean, did you do any little games? Did you use any game creators while you were at school? Or did you, um, like, in, when like, you were really young and that sort of stuff? Or what? How, how did you, why computer science? Why video games? So I never, so, I mean, like, there was this one time when I was really young, when I was still in elementary school, and um, where basically uh, my brother and I uh, asked my father whether we could do a video game together. And uh, back in the day, the uh, kind of like the computer magazines that you could buy, they had uh, kind of like source codes for for games. That's right. They would have basic listings and you would type them out. Yes. And it would crash because you'd forgot a semicolon. Yes. You couldn't read on there anyway. And so... And then you'd modify it. (laughs) (laughs) It was like the early, early version of mods. It was amazing. Yeah, and, and that's uh, what we what we try to do with kind of like several things. Okay. And um, but we were very we were incredibly unsuccessful and could right. never get anything to run. <laughs> wow. No, I I, and, I actually did that as well, but I actually managed to get stuff to run. I don't know. I have one of those brains, and I, I actually remember getting a ruler, uh-huh. and just placing it on the code, yeah. and then writing the code out. Checking the code against what was on, on above the ruler. You know, I must have been about ten when I was doing this. Like, because yeah. I because I was like, yeah, I had to make sure that that matched with that. And I remember the best game I played was or made uh, or from the magazine was this weird sub hunt game. It was mm-hmm. amazing. It was like you you scroll across the screen and then you just hunt down these submarines in this three D landscape using basic. It was amazing. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yeah, so, so that was kind of like my my first failed attempt at video games. Okay. And, uh, Did that never leave you then? Did yeah, that... <laughs> I, you... I, 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 it was very disappointing at the time, but I did think you know that it was probably just that the magazine had printed had made a mistake. Yeah, you're probably so, right. So it didn't it didn't discourage me, but um, I basically kind of like took a little bit of a step back of trying to make video games right away. And um, I, when I was a little older, I started um, kind of like playing um, AD&D and uh, basically lots of pen and paper. Uh, yeah, I did, I did that too. I played Paranoia and Traveller and AD&D and all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I would basically kind of like, you know, try to come up with my own campaigns uh, mm. for AD&D. I would like tearing apart modules. Do you get a module and mm. go, yeah, that's fun. Let's put something else. Oh, they got a giant squid. Nope, we're going to have a three-headed dragon instead. Yeah. That's way more entertaining. Fantastic stuff. So, but you then came back into the what I call flashy lighty games eventually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Okay. So that's what leads on to the next question really is that, what what do you think is of your career or generally? What what is the thing you you tend to find you are most drawn to? Is most drawn to, I should say, as 
Um, most drawn to as uh, your biggest influences during your creative endeavours? Is there any one particular group of things or is it a whole selection of things? What do you... What do you, do you yeah, it's a bit of an enormous question. Basically, I'm asking, I mean, you're a creator and what's the thing that most influences you, do you think? Um, I think life experiences. Or right. Kind of like, yeah, I think life experiences, kind of places that I've been to, conversations that I had with people, and I'm—I mean, like, uh, like a lot of my influences come from my time in Tokyo, actually. Right. Because it was like a like a very influential experience for me living living in japan and this really kind of like foreign it is very much fantastic amazing foreign country it It sounds really racist but not being that way at all you know people go oh i've been traveling really where have you gone and they say mainly either commonwealth english common british commonwealth nations yeah (laughs) or 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 just north america or like northwest europe and that sort of stuff and like that that that's traveling i grant you that i'll give you that but it's not really traveling (laughs) <laughs> you haven't gone to some really really foreign place you know you've gone to places where basically britain is colonized <laughs> yeah at the yeah. point of a gun <laughs> so um actually someone linked a, a map of the world to me the, today well the great the whole world and says countries that england or great britain has never invaded is very few <laughs> Yeah, you've done. You've done quite well. <laughs> yeah, we did quite well there. It's horrible, it's horrible. Really sorry. We now go around apologising, generally. So yeah, sorry to the world. We <laughs> that legacy behind us. So on a very very dour note, um, Germany has more to apologise for. So that's true. <laughs> well, that's recent history. I mean, we, I don't just, need, we don't need to compete. No, let's just talk about, you know, generally Europeans got lots to apologise for. But then again, we've done some very good things too. So, it's, you know, it's a, it's a balance there. I yeah. think the Enlightenment was pretty cool. Um, so, anyway, moving on to um, who do you most admire out there in the video game industry? Who, who, do, you, who do you... It could be a company, it could be anything. It could be a person, it could be a dog, <laughs> anything. Um... If you don't want to name anyone, that's cool. Cause we've no, it's had okay. Some... I mean, like, I really admired, uh, like, when, when I went to acquire, yeah, uh, because I was a big fan, or I'm a big fan of Tenshi Stealth Assassins, and um, I do really admire the creator of um, the Tenshi series, uh, Takuma Endo. He's the president of acquire. And, um, but also some of the people that I worked with, like, I mean, people, were, unless I guess they are kind of like acquire fans, they will not know the names. But, uh, for example, Tamohiro uh, Tsuchida, he was one of the um, the programmers on Tenshu and um, also um, Toshio Koike, who is, was the art director on kind of like most of um, Acquire, Acquire's games. And um, I was very fortunate that I was able to work with them and learn from them. And uh, I really, I know that a, that a lot of people nowadays don't like the aesthetic of Japanese video games anymore because they often feel a little bit outdated compared to what's coming out of North America and Europe. But um, I see like a real kind of like beauty and uh, sincerity 
in Japanese game design, even though it's often flawed, but it seems very human to me. Um, like, for example, after playing um, Acquire Games and then getting to meet the people that made those games, there were like a lot of things um, that I saw in the games that I could also see in the personality of these people. And um, yeah, I, I find this uh, very beautiful. And that's quite rare and something I've noticed about a lot of Japanese games because I've played a fair few. I must confess I've played a lot more in my childhood because I didn't really expose them as a kid because you and I know we're both Europeans so we didn't really have that much exposure to them. We both, you know, when I was a kid I was lots of my favourite game was Elite or Lords of Midnight <laughs> and that sort of yes, stuff because yeah. I, I grew up in the 80s and you know, the, the turn-based RPGs was something I came on to very late, probably not into the mid-90s, which they're, they're, by then they've been around for 10 years. But I was like, what is this? Why are we taking turns? Can I just hit him? You know? <laughs> yeah. It doesn't make any sense, you know? It wasn't until Final Fantasy VII that I managed to get... And in fact, I've, thankfully, I've actually now played a lot of those. But it's not just those. I mean, that's obvious to jump on those. But you're right, the Tenchu games... And the um, Onimushi games and Devil May Cry, and they all have this personality to them, unabashed personality to them, They're unashamed of it. They're like, <laughs> just they, they stand by and go, This is what I am. If you don't like it, then yeah. you, know, you could be more obvious, like, you know, Shadow of the Colossus and Ico and those games as well. And, and of course, you know, recently we've got Dark Souls, which is, you know, that's. that's of, forward, yeah. yeah, that's just like. No way would they come out of Western developer, at least I don't think so, because it's like, really? You're going to make this punishingly hard? Um, like, yeah, you've got From Software, who do like the, the who did one of my favourite games of all time, was Chrome Hounds. Ridiculous. Oh, yeah. Ridiculous game. You know, if you tried to pitch that to any, you know, Western publisher, it'd be like, go away, just go away. <laughs> uh, but here we've got, you know, these Armour Core games, and they do, you know, From are just an extraordinary software house and uh, as they were known um, uh, but uh, as they were and it's just so you're right and that's why I get a bit agitated when I hear people go oh the, the Wii U's dying in the death and like have you played anything on it recently have you have you and they and they usually turn around and go no I said well please just I'll be agitated by that because you know out of the three consoles the new ones out now is my is my favorite right now i get more entertainment from my wii u than i get from the other two machines and i do own all three because of the job, of job yeah yeah, yeah I, I, I own a wii u too yeah and uh i i just you know mario 3d world is just amazing amazing so shush everyone no need to fear it's all right <laughs> so and, uh, uh... I am. Uh, I actually. Uh, I made probably about my influences like going back, kind of like a long, uh, long time ago when I was maybe around ten or eleven. Yeah. I also was kind of like very into the Sierra adventure games. They like were fantastic. Space Quest, Space Quest, you know. I loved the first Police yeah. Quest. I couldn't yeah. believe how incredible and complex that game was. Did you see the Kickstarter for the new Police Quest? Is there a Kickstarter for it? I didn't know. I saw, I saw it a couple of months ago. I don't know if they made it or not. because no, I definitely I thought, tried. I wasn't keen on two, and mm. then it went into weird. I think it, it morphed into SWAT eventually. 
um, because yeah. I wasn't keen on because I like the simplicity and the naivety of of one. It was ridiculous. Pulling some woman over for drink driving is hilarious. <laughs> I, I remember the most like when you had to check the police car. Yeah, you had Do you to. remember that when the first you, time you wanted right. to drive away? You could. You, and, you... <laughs> and, and that, but that was so silly. <laughs> I was like, I can't believe that they made me walk around the police car and check it. <laughs> every time. Every time. Yeah. It was just so detailed. The level of detail. The point to that, It was like, it was to the point where you'd have to sit behind your computer desk um, on the game and then go, now you must hit at five. Okay. It'd be so, <laughs> it would be so detailed. It was just ridiculous minutiae, which you, you didn't need. You didn't need at all. But maybe you did because it added to the, not, I'm not going to say charm because that means it's insulting to the game, but it, it added to the immersion. Yeah. It really felt that you were a policeman and realised that I never wanted to do that for a job ever. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it did get kind of crazy towards the end of that game. Yeah. Sierra Adventure Game. I never got into Space Quest or King's Quest. It was the, the only one I actually played was Police Quest. It was on my Atari ST. And that's the only one I, I was exposed to. I was actually unaware of any others. I thought it was unique. I didn't know that it was a whole series of quest games. I think King's Quest was the first one, wasn't it? I, d- I don't remember, but I think it must have been, yeah. King's Quest was kind of like modeled on fairy tales. That's right. So, Space Quest was a comedy. Yeah, comedy. it was very funny, very funny. And yeah, Larry Leffers also. Yes, this is shoot Larry, yeah. Yeah, again, mm. pass me by that one. I think I got the sidetracked by Populous. It was that era, you know? Yes, it yeah. was, yeah. Um, so... Speaking of and games, it, of, sorry, yeah. anything else? Yeah, I just want to say, I remember what's, what's, what's really great about Sierra, I mean, we talk a lot about women in games, and mm. obviously, like, Rebecca yes. Williams is, you know, almost like a, like a pioneer of video games, because yeah. she, she co-founded it together with her husband. She did. And uh, she was actually bold enough to put her photo on the bo- on the box of the games. Yes. Yeah, so I think she was responsible for the King's Quest series, or she made it. And she did and, start. Yeah, yeah, there was always her photo on the box, and I I still have the box, and I remember seeing that when I was a, when I was a young girl, <laughs> looking at the photo, and then I'm thinking, oh, a woman can make video games, games after all. Look, this is Roberta, and she's making the King's Quest series. Like, you know, I'm gonna make my own game series when I'm in, when I grow up. That's fantastic. Getting some, insp- I mean, you just can't underestimate that. You know, you're told as a child that no, no, you can't do that. Why? Because you're a insert gender here. Yes. <laughs> um, sorry, I could, it applies to both men and women. I, I do believe that. that. No, you can't be in ballet, or you can't be a cook. Well, not a cook, but you know what I mean. Certain. Yeah, you can't be a You can't be a secretary, teacher, or yeah. you can't. No, because you're sure. a male. Yeah. Do that, and vice versa. Um, and it's it's slowly over time. It's changing, but it's taking a long time. Too long. But it is taking a long time, and misogyny is something that's a, a symptom of our society. It's something we have to overcome, and I'm sure you've encountered it time and time and time again. Um, but uh, you you struggle through it, right? Yeah, I mean, I I, I take these things usually with humour, luckily. Yeah, that's, what I hope. that's one way to do it, uh, but not not to the point where you go, that's yeah, fine. No, 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 absolutely, absolutely not. Yeah, not, but... not, not laughing acceptance. It's like, well, 
I'm going to grip my teeth. No, it's more like laughing because people are so stupid. Yes, at them. That's right, laugh at them. Oh, yeah. But it's not very polite. No, it's not. And you're actually lowering yourself to their level. It's a balancing act. Yes. And so. You should um, do it. Yeah. So this is my favorite question. The last question I asked about the developer. Okay. This is my love. Because when I, I get the answers to this, I get an inkling about what they're working on next. Okay. It's it's naive of me, but I I, I try anyway. Um, what are you playing right now? Doesn't matter what it is. It could be a tabletop game. Could be anything. What are you doing that isn't revolving around um, the game you're currently working on? Whatever that may be. Um, I'm playing Dota Two actually. <laughs> <laughs> you're playing Dota Two. Anything else? I mean, I'm just wondering if a MOBA is a game. No, it's not fair. Sorry, MOBA fans. Sorry, that was unfair. No. I, I do... Uh, hang on a minute. I, I'm playing a few things on my iPad. I mean, obviously, okay. looking, uh, I'm playing Walking Dead. Uh, right. looking for I, still haven't, I should get onto that. I've got distracted by Titanfall, but yeah, go on. Hmm. And I also started to play Republic. It's also on the, on the iPad. Republic? Yeah, Republic, yeah. I, I always try to pronounce this very French. <laughs> Republic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That one. But I don't really know if it's... But it, is it supposed to be a French word? Yeah, they, they spelt it that way. Yeah, okay. Uh, but uh, let's, I've, I've got it because I backed it on Kickstarter, so I can't uh-huh. view it. Yeah. That huge problem of game reviewers. A lot of game reviewers refuse to back anything because that prevents them from any being objective my argument is well if you have back something then you don't review it you just you know you you can't you know that's it it's easier you're just like any other regular schmo in, in many regards but yes i do have it on my iphone 5s Ooh, go me uh, and it works very well it's very nice um very a very dark story though i'm not i'm not very far in okay. so i don't know i don't know yet yeah so it's yeah, it's totalitarian regime stuff so yeah um okay and anything else apart from I me mean, yes dota 2 i mean how, how many thousands of hours have you got on that come on be honest oh i i don't know maybe <laughs> maybe 600 600 oh. have you bought not... any hats no i i don't i i don't believe in buying silly items for your characters so you haven't bought anything no i no i'm just a freeloader <laughs> Developers, are fr- oh, I don't know what to say to this because you know it's a question I always I always ask myself when I'm playing free to play games. Yeah, and I don't play a lot of them because of this problem. Is like, how much do I give? I mean, well, uh, like I, I, I would I would pay money for Dota, you know, if they said pay me. Yeah, but, but I don't believe, but I, I because I don't care about what the character looks like. I like I don't get excited about hats. No, <laughs> or, or or top hats even. Yeah, no. yeah. The problem I've got is, um, you know, just I'll give you a tenner for it. How about that? <laughs> can, I, can I do that? And you just can't because they say, well, they you've got to give more. No, just one off. There's just some money. Just, I don't know. Is that enough? I, I've played this for 100 hours. Is that, I don't know. It's just, I don't know, well, there's a game called Path of Exile, which is uh, akin to Diablo 3, only it's completely free. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I don't know. I don't know. And the, uh, there is all of it, all the money you pay for them is all aesthetics. There's, there's no bonuses of gameplay element. All it is is you get a 
it put they make sure if you're holding a sword, it sets it on fire. Yeah. It doesn't doesn't make it a firing damage sword. It just sets the sword on fire. Right? Why? Well, you just give us some. You know, you gave us some money. Uh, <laughs> like... I mean, you do encounter players that seem to take great pride that they have kind of like all the the outfits for the characters that they are playing. But it doesn't, it, it doesn't really grab me. You know, there's no motivation in it for me. Not for me but, either. Yes. <laughs> it's mind-boggling. I mean, I, I feel, I, yeah, I feel bad about it. Sometimes. So do I. Yeah, I just walk away going, I should give them But some. then why, why do they make it free, right? It seems to be important. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then you sit there going, oh, I feel, feel bad about it. And then you slap yourself going, it's, ste- it's, it's Steam. It's Sorry, not Steam. Bloody hell. It's Valve, for pity's sake. <laughs> it's Valve. Here's a company that can't count to three. <laughs> oh wow on that note <laughs> so so then what game do you think we are making next well maybe it's you know Half-Life 2.5 something I don't know <laughs> 2.993 <Okay. laughs> oh who knows I think they're too focused on making Steam weird and you know penetrating into everyone's household whether they like it or not um it's it's uh, their stealthy moves of uh, making steam the de facto game platform as it has become um on a pc anyway actually on any computer i'm thinking about it um yeah i don't know what they're playing at they should i don't know why they spent almost 10 years making half-life 3 if they have but, but do you really believe that they are working on it no <laughs> no I I don't understand why they've left the story dangling like that, but they did. Mm. And, you know, there's not going to be a Portal 3, I don't think, which is sad because I kind of like Portal 2. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, like the, the co-op multiplayer was really good. Fantastic. There's one moment in that Portal co-op where you just realise that I don't want to spoil it for anyone because you haven't done it yet, but there's one moment, I'm sure Jennifer may know this. Have you done it? Have you finished it? Yes, I have. So there's one moment where you have to do something together, which is very alarming. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there it is. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. It's just like, and what I was doing with a friend of mine, like, no, no. Uh, he, had, he had to talk me into it, going, this will end in failure. We will, this will end in tears. He goes, no, no, this is it. You, you, I, I could hear the penny drop in his head when, it, when, he, when he got onto it, like, no, we're not doing this. No. And we did, and we moved on with our <laughs> lives. <laughs> so thank you for sharing with your 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 um your background and your what you're playing. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Probably gave us no clue to what you're working on now, but at least we you know what you're in. I mean, unless it's a MOBA, please God no. Uh, <laughs> well, I've heard stranger things have happened. Um it could be like I, I have to admit it crossed it crossed my mind. What if, <laughs> what, what if you did it for touch? Basically, like a stripped down and more simple version of uh, Daughter. Yeah, plus the game is quite complicated. A bit. It's got. It's not. That's the point. Mobas aren't complicated. They're they're layered. There's a, a yeah. Lot to, yeah, but there's a lot to learn. I know, but they they. They, they don't do a very good job at teaching you. No, no, they don't. They just, just humiliate you instead. That's how they teach you. Do you, do you play it? You I've play tried. It? I can't get... I, okay. I, I'm just, the problem is I get overwhelmed with information. You mm-hmm. know when you buy stuff from the shop? 
You buy stuff well, I've never shop. bought stuff from the shop. So. Not, not buy things <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, yeah. in the game, with mm-hmm. the game currency part of the game where you're upgrading stuff for your your character because if you don't, he's going to die or she is going to die. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that just freaks me out. <laughs> Utterly freaks me out. Like, what am I supposed to buy here? Oh, there's a healing potion. I'll get that. Oh, no, you don't want that one. You want that one. What? Well, what's the difference? Well, that... Just... Yeah. So, yeah, I just get really freaked out by the crafting system in, in MOBAs. It just freak, freaks me out. I respect it. I know what it is, and that's why I freak out, because I'm making a bad decision here. I've got some fast shoes here. Is that, any, is that any good to me as a character? Oh, no, I'm a tank. That wasn't very wise, was it? <laughs> <laughs> At what point do you go foraging in the in the jungles? Or not? What, do you do it early? I don't know. So I have all these respects for all these t- tactics, and under, and I understand how to play the game. I'm just profoundly bad at it. <laughs> but, but everybody is kind of um, bad at it. Yeah, it's just it just frustrates me. I'm just so anxious of like, hearing these stories. Like, oh god, he's a new player. Get off my server, or they just kick you off because you're. New. <laughs> And it's just like, yep, yeah, that's what online gaming is about. There's no. Yeah, you, you do get a lot of abuse. Yeah, there's no empathy. But this, is, this is what the mute button is for. Exactly. It's it's like, there's no empathy at all. Is it to say, weren't you once like me? Weren't you once starting out trying to play this game? It just don't, people don't really accept that. It's really weird. And that's always the way with hobbies and stuff. You always have the, uh, oh, I don't want to, you know. But bother myself with people who are inexperienced. This is fair enough because it's it's all about matching your skill levels with other people. But that's what MOBAs bother me about. Is uh, the time investment is phenomenal. <laughs> Each match lasts forty five minutes. Shocking. Yeah, or, not, or ninety. Or ninety it depends how well you're doing or not, as the case may be. Um, but my typical match. I mean, I'm still only playing against bots and spell. I'm winning. But it's still, you know, I'm just anxious about going online with it. So eventually I, I might do it, but it's just like, oh, God. It's just the wall of information you're giving. And it's like, have I, have I made the right decision? I go, probably not. <laughs> I've probably spent loads of gold on things I shouldn't have. So anyway, enough of Mobas and Dotas and other TLAs. Let's move on to the second half where we talk about... Jennifer, please give us the, as the Americans like to call it, elevated pitch for Tengami. Okay. Tengami is an uh, atmospheric adventure game that takes place inside a Japanese pop-up book. And the way that it works is you are a little 
paper man character and you explore a very beautiful looking paper world and you come across puzzles and obstacles that you solve by manipulating the pop-up book think about folding things uh, sliding stuff away and basically you play the game in a very similar way to how you would read a pop-up book okay that's pretty accurate well done yay um of course it is you've been working it for Uh, almost three and a half years three and a half years that's that's quite that's quite a and my question specifically about the game and it is a beautiful game and it is unlike anything i've ever played yep i can't really the only closest other thing is is it's kind of like a point and click but there is no text well there is but only between scenes but i don't want to spoil it for anyone um what came first? Was it the theme? Was it the pop-up book, or did it all? What? How did it? How did it emerge from your brain? This this idea of creating a pop-up book on, on a on a mobile device. Well, it doesn't have to be mobile. It could be. How did it? How did that happen? Can you tell uh, me. Yeah, Phil, um, who was uh, one of the co-creators of Tengami. He uh, really loved pop-up books as a child. Okay, that we all. And I used what... to love them as a kid. I was fascinated by little intricacies of the, especially when you had a pop-up book or you pulled it open and you could actually interact with the thing inside. Yeah, yeah. I mean it is very magical, absolutely. Mm. And uh, one day, about three and a half years ago, we uh, started kind of like talking about pop-up books. I think it was sparked by some kind of a movie that we'd seen on YouTube um, that, that showed a pop-up book. And uh, as we kind of like kept talking about it, uh, we started asking ourselves, why is uh, nobody using this physical toy book in the context of a, of a digital toy, let's say, you know, like a video game? Okay. What, what, what happens if you take a pop-up book and use that not not only as a setting but you know maybe as the core mechanic of the game like what kind of video games can you make with with that kind of idea right. and it's basically um started out as a as a big experiment like what kind of video games can you make that use pop-up as a game mechanic or that take place in a pop-up book. Okay, so you you went through various ideas and concepts and themes and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yes. And what what kind of themes did you consider? Well, at, fir- at first we were thinking um, a lot more kind of like actiony, like we were looking at a more as as a at a at fast at fast-paced games. Okay. Um, kind of like. Platform pop-up platforming. Oh right, that could work, but that would turn into Paper Mario, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe Kirby. Yeah. And it's not bad things, but Sony, uh, Nintendo, might, Sony, Nintendo go. Um, excuse me. <laughs> Unlikely though. But go on. But, but the the so... further that we explored it, um, it didn't seem to be a very good fit for the pop-up because. Platforming often introduces kind of like an element of time or speed. 
And that means that you don't get to enjoy this, uh, you know, this magical feeling when you see the pop-up world unfold. This is interesting, yeah. Now it's all coming together because my next question um, relates to to the the setting, well, the, the pace of the game, mm-hmm. which is really, you know, video games have traditionally been seen as an assault on the senses. Forgive <laughs> me to say that about your previous work, but it generally is, there can be, I mean... Um, I can give you many examples. Which you know what I mean? Like GTA V, there, there's there's one. It doesn't stop. It's relentless. It's almost exhausting. Um, yet Tengami is way more tranquil. It's the best word I can come up with. You know, yes. People ask me to describe the game in one word and I say tranquil. Um, did you set out to make it that way? Was it always your intention to dial everything back and go, can we just enjoy this for what it is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, We always wanted to make something that is very serene or tranquil, as you say. And something that kind of like invites, I guess, introspection and and thought. Because, um, I mean, you you said it yourself in the introduction, like a lot of video games nowadays, um, they basically work off exciting the player yeah so so you are put in kind of like a constant state of excitement um plus with it yes plus a time pressure so basically while you're playing it you have no brain capacity for kind of like any kind of other thoughts or, or even emotions like you're you're very you're very let and pressured by the game absolutely although in defense of some titles, they try to change it up a bit where they give you pause to allow you to suck in and drink in and what you're looking at. Mm. Let me give an example. Um, let's go back to GTA 5, if I may. That's got some amazing scenes. I don't know how they managed to squeeze all that into a 360, but they did. And, you know, to, to have the sweeping, you know, um, vistas and similar to... Uh, the Assassin's Creed games, they are visually very impressive. And indeed, the game mechanic encourages you to climb the top of a tower to look across the scene. <laughs> and it just, but they're not, they're few and far between. You're absolutely right. Most of the time, and those two games especially, they do are pressing you to drive on and explode thing, more things up or destroy more things. <laughs> I mean, like the, the, these these games because they are also exploration-based games. So in Assassin's Creed, like you don't have to do any of the storyline; you can just run around and explore and do do what you want. You can. But what you see, I think, especially in and obviously first-person shooters, because they are very linear, and you're basically pushed down the path to the end. Yep. And uh, ideally, the game doesn't, you know, give you give you even time to suspect that maybe this game you know what you're doing is all a bit silly mm. and uh, <laughs> yeah I, I, and I, I like first person shooters like i don't i don't i don't i don't want people to think that i don't like these games it's just something that i've noticed and um for me then i i asked myself the question what what happens if you do the exact opposite 
if you make a game that is very kind of like quiet and subtle, will 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 people accept that? Like, you know, will, will they go through the game not thinking about the goal of the game, but basically just being in the moment? You know, just being in the moment. I know of and... of the game rather than thinking about okay, yeah. I have thirty I have thirty seconds to detonate the bomb or. <laughs> Oh my god! You know, I can yeah. see the timer in fifteen seconds. Uh, aliens are gonna drop, and you know, I I need to I need to reload my gun and get ready the very, for the next um, massacre. The very and, pinnacle of that would be Street Fighter Four, and actually trying to count the animations of the hitbox before you do your counter punch. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's 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 like <laughs> in realms of. You know, okay, fine. You're not even looking at the screen now. You're just looking at the code. <laughs> but yeah, but Tsunami just just like gets the dial and go. Can we just turn this off? Can we yeah. just stop the noise, please? Can we just turn it all down and just drink the in for what it is? And and uh, you know, would that have kind of like a relaxing effect on players? Yes. And uh, some articles or reviews that I read basically said. That they that they would consider it as a relaxation game. Yeah. Um, so it it does it does seem to work on some people. Um, yeah, I I do um, genuinely believe that this game is like we talked about this before we started recording, but I um, know so, it's annoying to hear on a podcast, but we were talking about things before we started recording, and one of the things I said about Ten Coming is it felt like a poem. Sounds very pretentious, but that's genuinely what I believe. It sounds like a feels like a series of three or four phrases that are linked together to form a whole. And that's what I felt walking away, finishing the game. That um that same kind of feeling I wrote uh, you know, reading a thought provoking and uh, profound poem. That's what I found from this game. Um and that's what I think people should be approaching it. Like Proteus. Um, I don't like compare your game to anything else, or, or, or it's, you know, we'll talk about that as well. Trying to pigeonhole any game is wrong, but I do think it's the same kind of place. Although, although um, there is a game here, of course, it is a game, uh, and that there are puzzles to be solved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, um, the game very much takes cues from games we were talking about earlier, which is Police Quest and that sort of thing, and that. It's a point-and-click adventure, isn't it? Mm-hmm. In a yeah. speaking, so there's been a big renaissance of those recently. We've got Broken Age from Double Fine, of course, but many others as well. Um, Primordia is one I sp- I played uh, about a year ago now. Loved loved that game. Um, and why do you think there's a resurgence of those? Personally, well, I think for one, like the genre has been dead. Uh, for quite a long time because it doesn't really suit uh, itself to uh, consoles or controller gaming. No, it doesn't. You're right. And basically when the I think the PlayStation 1 came along, um, other genres uh, basically kind of like totally took the attention away from it. And I believe that with the touch with the touch screens, especially with the tablets, um there was again a market to do that sort of game because point and click uh, just works uh, perfectly on, on touch devices. 
And of course, the, the rise of PCs and not so much the, the independent sort of small developers that didn't have to go yeah. to publishers to get their work out could then publish via Steam or other outlets like Good Old Games or whoever. Um, and that created low-risk environments, right? Mm-hmm. And yes. Then, and then... and it's, a, it's a popular genre. And uh, I think also kind of like a lot of uh, non-core gamers really like it, you know, like more casual gamers or people yeah. that maybe don't don't even consider themselves to be gamers at all. Yeah. Because it is a very kind of like ex- an, a very accessible genre. Yeah, it's... It's like choosing an adventure books. They're coming back as yes, well. Yeah. I know Tin Man Games. Um, he does. Um, well, that he they do yeah. um, the game book adventures. I love those. You know, on on the and of course, um, uh, Inkle did uh, sorcery. Yes, uh, on, Jackson sorcery. Yeah. Fantastic. I've interviewed them twice now. Uh, yeah, we are, we are, we are good friends with them. So yeah. they are lo- they are lovely. Yeah. They are very, they're, 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 what they've made out of that game, of that book, game, book, book game, uh, is, is an extraordinary thing. Because I remember in the 80s playing that game, and here they are, they've reinvented it and introduced it to a brand new audience, and very successfully as well. Um, yeah, it's, it's absolutely fantastic. I recommend yeah. everybody who, who used to like these kind of like choose-your-own-adventure books to, to give it a go. I just get, sorcery, yeah. get complete, yeah, sorcery is a fantastic one, because it's not a choose-your-own-adventure game. At all, do not think that it's inspired by, but the actual game itself is not really like that at all. It's something way more than that. But I've already, you know, listen to my old, I think it's episode two, check that out, and you can hear me chat to the developers about that there. But um, one point I want to ask um, about Tinkomi um, is really the puzzles in the game, which leads me on to they can be quite tricky. How did you get over playtesting? What did you do with that? I mean, how did the puzzles, how did you set about making those, designing those? Was it the first time you ever done something like that? Yeah, the other games that I worked on didn't have puzzles. Um, right. So what we tried to do was initially was that we tried to kind of like find puzzles that would uh, fit around the, the pop-up mechanic. Right. Folding as a game mechanic. Okay. And, um, but the thing is, like, the more that we experimented with it, we felt like that the pop-up itself, the folding itself, was actually not sufficient to carry a lot of puzzles. Right. And this is um, because it is, um, it's it's like it's very easy to create a pop up or a folding structure that is very abstract, mm-hmm. and um, with the very abstract ones, like you can make um, more interesting puzzles, but because they are so abstract, like it doesn't really mean anything to anybody, <laughs> because you're just looking basically at these very weird folding shapes. Yeah. But we but we wanted to basically have um, you know pop ups that look like something like for example a lighthouse. Or a Japanese shrine, and um, that are really kind of like uh, accessible to people, and um, it it becomes then very difficult because everything in the game is constructed as a real pop up and it folds authentically, and you could rebuild it, you know, like with paper, scissors, and glue if you if she basically knew how to make pop ups. And because this authenticity was very important to us, 
um, it was very difficult to um, to come up with a kind of like what people sometimes call genius puzzles. And it's basically more trying to be, I guess, delightful puzzles. Okay, uh, right. That were, you know, kind of like uh, something that gives you a satisfaction from kind of like manipulating the pop-ups. Yeah, there was rather, this... Rather than it being very complicated what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, we spoke about uh, Roberta Williams, isn't it, from... Uh... Yes, her name. She she uh, famous for the Gabriel Knight game, which is attributed to the death. Oh, that of was Jane. Is it Jane Jensen? Oh, that was Jane Jensen. Sorry, apologise, but uh, <laughs> that game, that particular game, was attributed to the death of Point and Click because there's one particular puzzle that was so ridiculous and With so obscure. <laughs> yes, yeah. you couldn't solve it. No sane human being could solve it, yeah. and it was like, okay, we're done now. No, you know, like we we didn't want we. I mean, so the, the the problem with that genre is that it's even with all the best intentions, that it's very easy to do something that becomes complicated in the end. It's for the sake of complication. Yeah, that becomes basically obscure. Yeah. Um, so with Tengami, I mean, we did do a lot of playtesting on the on the first chapter in the forest. We showed that. I mean, we had uh, at least five hundred people play that. And then the ocean chapter was probably also played by maybe also I think about five hundred people. Right. So they they were um, they were both played by a lot of people, and we um, we were very we knew what worked in them and what didn't, and did several improvements on them. And then the the second chapter, which is the mountain, is something that we only tested. On a few people, which are basically our friends, okay. and I think that that there's basically one puzzle in there where we made a where we made mistakes, <laughs> and it turned out to be a really bad uh, puzzle. Right, and we are actually going to change that in the okay. next update. That's interesting. We'll we'll chat about it after the show because yeah. uh, you know it's not fair because it's, it's spoilers, but. Um... Okay. And it, this is, yeah, it's um, because often, I mean, we said that Tengami is a game, you know, we're trying to do everything without text, kind of like through visual and um, audio communication, but also obviously gameplay as communication. Yeah. And you do need to do like a lot of testing on it, or you end up uh, really, you know, being in danger of doing something that becomes, it, it's only, you know, like one tiny decision one you know one tiny mistake that you make and the puzzle becomes totally confusing for players i know um can't underestimate that the, the creator thinking oh, come on it's obvious to you yeah. it is or uh, even if you think oh come on you know we tested this on 10 people and these 10 people could do it yeah but then it's like you really need like a lot of a lot of no, eyes. On if these if they're friends, especially, there's a reason they're friends <laughs> because yeah. they're like-minded, you know, individuals. And like, damn yeah. it, you know. I mean, it's difficult to do with relatives because relatives like, well, they're not going to question what you've done, are they? Because uh, you know, it's, they're your relatives. Uh, you know, everything you do is amazing. And uh, so, yeah, yeah, I've been there. It's just one of those things. Our intention with Tengami was never for it to be like a difficult game. Like we want, we were always trying to make challenging puzzles. It's challenging, but it's but not, not difficult. But no. not difficult or frustrating. You like, don't want as people... I said earlier, we wanted to be a, a 
a relaxation game almost, right? So you don't want frustration. No, you don't but, want people hurling their iPhones against the wall. No. But unfortunately, I'm not perfect, so you you do make mistakes. But then, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, with something like the App Store, the great thing is that you can update very quickly. You can like, fix you can, and you update can, things. Yeah, you you can fix. Uh, you can fix these mistakes. Uh, yeah. Keep uh, keep keep improving and refining the game based on the feedback that you get. Yeah, because thirty years ago that didn't exist. Once the game was out, that was it. Mm. Imagine that. <laughs> You could not fix it after release. Wow. <laughs> Couldn't. I remember that. Games would come out like, is it bugged? Yep. Oh, well. <laughs> not what we can do about it. There was no patching. Didn't exist. Didn't exist. It was on a tape. You put it in a tape recorder, pressed play, and off it went. Anyway, I do remember the first time a console game crashed on me and I freaked out. Like, yeah, which I game was that? It was Wipeout on the PS1. Okay. It crashed. I, I never had a crash on the PS1. Uh, no, it wasn't overheating or anything. It just genuinely just crashed. Like, mm. How could you crash? You're a console. You know, that, that you think, you can't crash. You're a console game. You're a set piece of hardware. Don't change. It's always the same. How can you crash? <laughs> but, you know, over time, that doesn't matter. Least of all now. Least of all now. So, I think we'll sign off now. Find out a little bit more. So I've written some notes here about where, where you can get Tengami, but do yell at me if I get this wrong. Um, is it on iOS 6 devices? Is Seven. Seven. So it only works on iOS 7, so I'm absolutely sure. Do we know? Yes, only iOS 7. Okay. Uh, and it will be on the Wii U eventually? Yes. Okay, I've got February here, but it's February's rapidly running out. So July. July now. No. Or June, I don't know. Don't don't say the date. Oh, okay. Um, so and uh, Windows and Mac, is that yes. right? Sometime later on this year as well. Mm-hmm. Very good, and that will be on uh, on uh, Steam, etc. I assume. If we get green, lit, if yeah. we get well, if they're still doing it then because they're shutting that down, aren't they? Um. <laughs> Yeah, this this was my strategy to basically wait until this whole green light has died. Yeah, because they are they said, oh, this doesn't work, is it? No, <laughs> Jennifer, thank you very very much for your time. Uh, I can't stress out, uh, enough how, how appreciative I am of you sharing your thoughts on this extraordinary game. And I have to congratulate you and the rest of your team for making something so wonderful. Well done. Yeah, thank you very much, Chris.